to another episode of the Gospel Lifeline podcast. My name is Neil Grogan here with Matthew Statler. And we're excited to begin a new series this week. Um, we are going to be talking about work and working faithfully. Uh, Matt, can you give us a couple of reasons why we decided to move this direction next? Yeah, I think um, in our current world, we have more and more difficulty living our, our lives as Christian, especially in America and the United States, and um, walking out our faith and being faithful in the workplace becomes more, much more of a difficulty. And I think everybody can kind of relate to times when uh, being a Christian is not always popular or even um, preferred in the workplace. And so we are, we're hoping to interview different um, professions and people in different professions, uh, particularly in difficult, uh, maybe more high action, um, alpha, alpha type uh, jobs, but also teachers and uh, educators as well. So in, in our discussing of, of what to do um, and how can we be the most encouraging, I think interviewing people who are in uh, various fields and various jobs and how the gospel applies to their life and how it applies to their, um, their functioning, right? And, yeah. and how God's word uh, is meaningful and active in their life. And so uh, we want to kind of start opening up that area. And so if you do know someone that you believe is, is gospel-centered and um, a very valuable witness in the workplace, please send us a message um, either on our podcast uh, or by email or text us or call us, let us know someone we should interview uh, because that's what we want to kind of take the next direction for some of our episodes, Neil. Yeah. So it kind of reminds me, Matt, of <clears throat> I was teaching this men's breakfast one time and I was laying out how um, the Bible calls us to fight and wage war against sin and um, to be faithful Um proclaimers of christ and i remember this one guy he's a dentist and he said he raised his hand and stopped the whole thing and was like well how does that affect me as a dentist <laughs> you know and i think i think that's a good question you know how how does how does living for christ uh what does that look like in different contexts especially you know in the public service kind of arena where, you know, as Americans or just in the West in general, we're experiencing more and more social pressure um, to kind of, you know, go with the flow to look the same as everybody else. Um, and if you express differing beliefs like, hey, there's a problem and it could be potentially uh, devastating to your vocation um, or, you know, people, unfortunately, um, tend to try to weed the one that's different out. Right. And, and that's a reality. That's not current, our current context to its fullest <clears throat> nature, you know, but I think we're headed that way as a society in general is where we're going to reach a point where maybe the Christian can't be a businessman or can't be a doctor or can't be a police officer or teacher who knows. But in the meantime, regardless of our profession, right, the Lord still calls us to be faithful in that context, whatever context he's called you to vocation he's called you to. And so, you know, I think about second Corinthians five, nine says, whether we're at work or, 
or whether we're at home or away, rather, we make it our aim to please God. And so home or away, work or at home, um, on vacation, whatever, uh, whatever, however you want to frame the away, our aim should be to glorify God or to please God in all things. And so we want to do that with excellence, but we also want to interview, like Matt was saying, we want to interview some key people in our lives and then in our circles who we know are in these contexts, um, who we believe are, are doing that very thing. Not always the best, right? <laughs> but, um, but, you know, trying to be faithful to God in their context. And, and, you know, for many, they're getting to see uh, the fruit of that in, in ways that are abo- above our imagination, right? And so this week, we are bringing in a good friend of mine, Mike Griffin, who is a TPD officer. Mike is on with us. He's been working for TPD. How long, Mike? Uh, 24 years. 24 years. So you've been doing this a while. A while. Yeah. Mike, why don't you just tell us a little bit about uh, what you do, kind of the unique, unique, unique <clears throat> nature of what you do, and maybe some, some uh, normal issues you might encounter as being a Christian and uh, being an, an officer at the same time. Okay. My current uh, assignment where I've been for the last 15 years is I'm a supervisor of our narcotics unit in the special investigations division. Uh, that job has changed a lot, even over the last 15 years. Um, it's gone in waves just like crime does. But if you were to look back in 2006, when I took this spot to now, um, the, the drug world has changed radically. And so we've had to change with it. Um, so I would say back in the early days, we were more of your typical undercover operations. And now we're almost like narcotics detectives. Um, we don't do as much in-person undercover work as we did in the past. And so, so the context for faithfulness changes radically with the, the situation as it evolves there on the ground in, in uh, SID, right? Right. And uh, I think in the, in the past, we did so much work alone or in small, the, the isolation of the operation or the smaller group that there was more physical confrontations back then. Um, now, uh, most of the time, by the time we've identified ourselves as police officers, we're in a larger group, eight, 10, 12 guys. Uh, we're probably um, serving a search warrant at someone's house. And so the it takes a lot more gumption to put up a fight against 12 guys than it does two. Sure. Sure. So how, how has it been? Uh, so you're, you're a Christian, right? How long you've been walking with Jesus? Well, I got saved in May of 1998. Uh, and I probably walked with him faithfully. Um, I would say for, maybe six or seven years, five or six years. Um, I don't remember 
ever just making a decision to go about it in my own power because that would be dumb, right? No one would just, <laughs> but uh, over time, looking back, especially over time, I realized that um, I really relied on my own strength and my own knowledge or my own um, belief system at work. And that didn't always reconcile with my faith. So I was one person when I was on duty as a Tulsa police officer and someone very different when I was not in that role. And that went on until I was a student at the Mighty Oaks program last summer mm. when all this was kind of exposed to me and my eyes were open to my, um, the lies I believed and how I deceived myself. Do you think that's a pretty common reality for a lot of uh, officers of like almost living in two worlds? Yes, especially. Um, yeah, I don't I think a lot of cops, the, the longer they do it, especially the more they encounter violence, even either as a responding officer to a violent crime or a violent encounter that they're involved with personally. Uh, after a while, um, I know I did, and I, and I think we do collectively, we struggle to understand how we can apply or even walk out our faith in the midst of that chaos and violence. And it seemed, and you know, you know my story, I, the analogy I give is I kind of put God in my pocket or on a shelf when I went to work and then picked him back up when I came home. And I think that's a very, for officers that are Christians, that's a, that's a common thing that is done is we just don't take him to work with us. Why do you feel like that's the, that's the uh, kind of baseline standard in a lot of cases? I know for me, I just didn't think I could be the aggressive, um, sometimes, you know, you've got to respond in violence and, and you're hurting people. And that doesn't seem like the Christian thing to do. Um, and then, you know, the truth is a lot of it's pride too. I mean, I talked radically different at work, even when it wasn't necessary. I'm not talking about you know, forcefully telling someone to put a gun down. I'm talking about drinking coffee with the guys, I, you know, in order to kind of be one of the guys and fit in my, even my vocabulary was drastically different at work than it was. I fit into the culture instead of uh, just being who I should have been. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, Matt and I are veterans. Matt was in the army uh, and I was in the Marine Corps both in combat arms type of jobs. So I can definitely sympathize. There's this, uh, there's this pressure to feel like you have to elevate your masculinity, elevate your intensity uh, to match everyone around you, especially to, to do whatever the job is and what it's calling for. Right. Right. So in, in a, in like a combat type of scenario, right. We have to bring our intensity up to a certain measure 
uh, to match and supersede whatever we are facing um, so that we can win, right? <laughs> and not lose and try not to get anybody hurt in the process. But it becomes this difficult thing to, you know, almost light switch, right? To turn turn back off again. Right. I know I'm similar to you, Mike. I, I came home and uh, there was no light switch. It was just one speed, right? The whole way uh, through, um, even in, even in garrison where the way I treated my guys, um, was with that kind of level of intensity, um, that's not always called for. Right. And so, um, you know, in your case, right. (laughs) God, you like I retired, right. I got, I got pulled out of the Marine Corps. Um, so did Matt. And uh, that kind of ended that phase for us radically, um, not phase, but that uh, lack of faithfulness. But man, God saw fit in your life in t- 2020 to radically challenge you and your heart to what it looks like to be a faithful man of God in the context of, um, you know, a narcotics unit. At, at Tulsa Police Department, which is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that's like, there's like 800 officers with TPD, right? Correct. That's about and right. So it's, it's a massive department. And so, uh, man, that's, that's a, there's a lot of pressure. It's not like it's just your little nugget, right? There's this big cultural presence and pressure uh, put on you, whether it's from the people you're serving or, the people within the department, which, you know, as you know, within the last uh, five, six years, it's almost for many police officers been us versus them type of mentality, which is also wrong, right? Right. So tell us about 2020, man, Uh, as much as you want to share, like, what did God do to radically adjust your fires? So 2020, um, if you go back, you know, the eight months before I went to Mighty Oaks, uh, cause I went in August, things were, uh, you know, across the country were, um, still pretty ramped up from, I think it goes clear back to probably the Ferguson deal, whatever year that was. But once, uh, once the George Floyd thing happened, um the George Floyd the George Floyd murder happened um it seemed like we went from just having to deal with um an overgeneralization that police officers in general were racist that the police system was racist that the legal system was racist um to which that was annoying and frustrating enough right i mean to be to be in the innocent of all those things, but to be lumped in as if I was guilty of something I'd never done. That was, um, that really stoked the anger that I had burned inside of me, um, already from whatever, however many years, 22 years, I guess at that time, 23 years. Um, but then it got to the point where, family members my pastor at the time it wasn't that they were having anti-police rhetoric but 
they were so afraid to support us that they just stayed quiet. So there was also a vacuum of people that would say something as simple as one policeman doesn't make all cops bad, you know, um, quit generalizing all policemen. This is one guy, not however many tens of thousands are across the country. Um, and I even had personal conversations with what were important people in my life explaining, Hey, you can feel free to express your opinion regarding the George Floyd murder or racism in general. But if you don't come out, because some of these people were in leadership positions. So I said, well, if you don't come out and say the overwhelming majority of policemen are still good people and they love their country and they love their community and don't lump them in, which all of that is true, then that void kind of looks like there's nobody supporting us. And um, so I was having a lot of very direct, not always polite, for sure. Uh, definitely using inappropriate language at times uh, to try to convey my frustration at their either their rhetoric or their lack of support. Um, and probably that got to be what dialed up my hatred volume, I guess, even more was the people that I loved and counted on just not having the courage to speak up for us. And so that was kind of the, maybe the next to last thing that um, got my, you know, temperature boiling. And then on June 29, 2020, we had two officers shot on a car stop. One would die the next day. The other one has survived. Um, and even now, I firmly believe that not only that police shooting, but police shootings across the country intensified and happened more often because of bad guys feeling emboldened to violently resist us, coupled with police officers being extremely hesitant to use proper amounts of force because they're more worried about getting fired or sued or charged than they are staying alive. And uh, so when those officers got shot, that was kind of my breaking point. Uh, I didn't realize at the time. I just went to work and did what I'm supposed to do. But at that point, my, um, you know, I don't know if hatred can have a roof, but if it can, mine was there. And, uh, and I was probably going to stay at that level or, or keep going had a friend not intervened and uh, got me hooked up with Mighty Oaks. Yeah, so you so you came to Mighty Oaks. Yeah, I think you describe it as the liar tricked me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to yes. get there, and uh, um, and what I've heard is like the first three days you're just not you weren't going to listen to anybody, and uh, then on the on the on the third or fourth day, um your eyes kind of started opening. Right. Yeah. I was so wrapped up in being a cop that that's, that wasn't my job. It was my complete and total identity. Uh, I had told my wife in the past that the only day I was scared of was the day after I retired, because if I wasn't a cop anymore, 
what what was I? What would be the point of living if I wasn't a cop anymore? And so I was completely 100% wrapped up in being a, a cop and not, and at the time, you know, I was very, uh, I was professionally arrogant I, is the way I would describe it now is I knew I was good at what I did. I, but I put my faith in me or me and my guys uh, and our abilities to go do things. And, and we do them well. Um, but yeah, I showed up at Mighty Oaks because a buddy of mine uh, tricked me. Uh, I didn't go, I guess I went voluntarily, but I thought I was going for a totally different reason. And um, my team leader just kept repeating to me that I didn't find my identity in my job. And he kept saying, you're not a cop. And I say, yes, I am. And that went on for a couple of days. And I think the class that that was my breakthrough was probably the character class. Uh, I didn't admit it in the breakout session, but when we went back to our, where we slept and I kind of processed it, that was, that was the one that got me. So you, um, I guess, to a point like repented of your sin sin of trusting in yourself your sin of um uh, finding your sole purpose and identity as uh, a cop as a job right instead of as a redeemed son of the most high god right right and and re- and then practically repented of a lot of other things, like how you were treating people in the workplace, how you were uh, communicating <laughs> in general uh, to other people, all the ways you were not, as the Bible would describe, salt and life and light in the context of Tulsa Police Department. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't nice to probably most people. Um, and I could, looking back, it seems ridiculous, but I could justify that in my own mind, um, as either necessary or, you know, some other lie. I mean, I, I rationalize my behavior, um, you know, for the good of my country or for what people need or, you know, whatever other nonsense, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm sure I heard a lot of of other cops, you know, I, I didn't always treat, uh, in fact, I often didn't treat other cops kindly if they didn't live up to this standard that I, I, I don't need, I guess I just gave myself the power to create this false standard. And if they didn't meet what I thought a quote unquote real cop was, then I wasn't even nice to them. And, um, so I had to, I had to repent of that, um, a lot of pride. Um, and really I'd put myself, um, in, in most areas of my life at that time, I'd put myself in God's place. I relied on me. I trusted me. My faith was in me and God was who I went to either out of some type of, um, religious observance because I still believe he was still my savior, but my, that was kind of where I left him. He's at that time, he was who got me, my sins were forgiven, but I didn't rely on him 
daily. He was kind of my parachute. That's a good so, way to describe it. So, Mike, you you get back from Mighty Oaks. You've had this experience, mountaintop experience, probably in some way, shape, or form. You come in the first morning for your daily briefing or whatever it is that cops do. I'm just imagining from cop shows I've watched. You have your <laughs> coffee, and you go in there for your first briefing um, after all this has happened. Kind of what, walk us through kind of what you were feeling, experiencing at that time. Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I was nervous going into it because I knew I had radically changed and I, and I was committed to being an obedient follower of Jesus at that point. Um, and to kind of give you some context, you're exactly right. We have coffee and we actually call it coffee time. And when we're not talking about tactics or an investigation, there's a lot of banter. And you can imagine you guys are military it's not uh, positive and uplifting, right? And so, <laughs> and being having been there so long, I'd kind of helped create this culture of you better have thick skin. If we poke at you and you show weakness, that's just blood in the water. We're coming at you hard. And, and we would make fun of others that we didn't think, you know, measured up to our. So I walked back in there mentally refusing to take part in any of that. Um, and so it didn't take long where people noticed that I would either physically remove myself from the room or I just wouldn't engage in the talk. Or if I did, there were no profanity. Um, I can't sit here and tell you that I've been perfect throughout it because I haven't, sure. but I mean, it's been a radical change and people have noticed it and, you know, uh, even as recently as today, someone was like, oh, it's the new improved Griff, you know? And so, <laughs> I mean, it's talked about, um, but I just think, I mean, it's been a year now and I'm not going to say they're used to it, um, but it doesn't come up as much as it did a year ago. And I think they've realized that this, you know, uh, this guy's happy to be, uh, still a line from one of our buddy Victor's names. My friend is Jesus and I like hanging out with him and I like uh, spending time with him and, and that's not going to change. Uh, I still love being a policeman. I love serving search warrants and working cases, but that is not my identity. That's not my priority. I have um, Jesus is my number one priority. My family's number two, leading other people to Jesus especially because I do have a heart for cops and veterans. If, if I get a chance to talk to uh, a cop or a veteran about Jesus, man, I'm taking it. And um, it's a lot easier to talk to cops about Jesus if you're still a cop. So, um, so I still like going to work because that's where they are. And, you know, I'm not, uh, at least while I'm there, I'm not, I don't try to get in people's faces and just, you know, shove the Bible down their throat, but I just try to be loving and kind and, and still tease them. You know, I want to be, I want them to know that I'm still their friend, but, um, and just let them see the way that he's changed my life. And now so many other Tulsa police officers have gone through the program and they can see that I'm not the only one that has changed a lot of guys. And hopefully, um, people will see how it's changed my life and they will want that same thing. 
I think that's yeah. huge. Um, one of the, I was talking to my um, admin guy and he asked him, you know, some questions he would want to ask, you know, if he was on the show. And uh, he said, um, where does he draw the line on when to witness and when not? Um, and I think that you, you kind of hit that, right? Like when you're working and stuff like that, you got to focus a task, but I mean, how often does people say, man, my life is a mess right now. My wife is mad at me. That opens the door right up to a conversation. For sure. And a lot of those, some of those do happen at work face to face, but a lot of them will have just a real brief conversation at work. And then I'll get a text, a phone call or a message or something. Um, and while I'm at work, uh, you know, I'll wear a mighty oak shirt. Uh, there's a Bible sitting on my desk. There's a picture of Jesus sitting on my wall. Um, and so even if I'm not saying Jesus's name, um, we talk about mighty oaks, you know, and, and if, and if that's how I have to, it's a great way to introduce people to Jesus is sending them mighty oaks. So if all I ever say are the words mighty oaks, go to mighty oaks, and then they go there to meeting, that's great too. So um, I, I guess face, face to face, as long as we're not in the middle of an operation and, you know, nobody's told me to leave them alone or nothing, which so far no one has. So that's good. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just, I just tell them and I try to get as many people to go either to our outpost uh, or through the program as I can. Cause I just believe in, I just believe in the work that gets done there. And I think if, if, uh, you know, maybe I have too close of a relationship with him or, or we've known each other too long, but if they can go away for a week and have that time, uh, they'll come back changed. And, um, because uh, as you guys know, uh, a personal encounter with Jesus does not leave anybody unchanged and that's the goal so whatever we got to do to get them there that's the plan no mike um i i've been i've been counseling a a police officer here in our local area and we've been talking a little bit and kind of what you talked about how it's like a slow drip just a steady stress and then sometimes it just starts to, to catch somewhere and then it just explodes at some point whether it be um, because of like um, what happened uh, earlier in the year, um, in 2020, um, what habits or routines, because you come back from the program, the circumstances haven't changed. People are still angry. People are still, you know, cussing you out and, and being hateful. Um, support probably hasn't picked up and there's no, so perspective, so circumstances haven't changed. Your perspective has changed. Are there daily habits or routines that you've developed, uh, maybe like pre-combat checks for yourself, for your heart, for your soul? Uh, what, what do you do on a regular basis to stay um, gospel-centered? So Neil's actually heard me tell this story. He'll probably chuckle because I, I refer to myself as an idiot. Um, <laughs> so I try very hard to read my Bible first thing every morning. I just, if I'll do that first, it, my days tend to go better. Now we still have to get up early and go to work or serve search warrants that, you know, we might brief for a, at 5am for a 6am search warrant. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not going to get up that much more early to read my Bible. And I probably wouldn't be able to comprehend it at four in the morning anyway. So because of that, um, 
I now have a Bible on my desk at work. I have a Bible in my police car and I have a Bible in my go bag that I take when I get my partner's car. So I've made it impossible to be somewhere without a Bible. So if I don't read my Bible every day, the truth is because I chose not to. And so that's the number one thing. I mean, I've really, really tried to do that. No matter what comes up me in life, I've got to get in the Bible every day. Um, prayer is the same thing. Now, if I get to, you know, wake up and read my Bible at home, then that's also where I start my prayer time. Sometimes if I can't and we're going to work early, then I'll put on, you know, some type of Christian music as I'm driving. And as I'm driving, uh, I'll just pray while we're driving to work or while we're going to the operation or, or maybe it's surveillance in, in the middle of the operation. Obviously you can't close your eyes on those things, but no big deal. Um, and we, we've always been faithful churchgoers, so that hasn't changed much, but our weekly outpost meetings, um, they're just so important to me because they get in a room full of combat veterans a few firemen and uh, police officers that have done various different jobs, some of which we wouldn't even have got along with a year ago before I got humbled at Mighty Oaks. Um, and to sit in there and to talk about each other's problems, knowing that it's confidential and, and to pray with those guys and study God's word with those guys and to just see the peace that is on their faces and in their lives. And when it's not to link arms with those guys and to help them through it, uh, those outpost meetings and the guys there mean the world to me. So um, I would say daily Bible reading is probably the most, I mean, that's where I prioritize, but I would say though all three of those things have radically changed um, my attitude and my behavior since 12 months ago. I think it's important that, you know, I'll just kind of cut through what Mike described, but uh, for routines of like a week, um, I think it's important if we want to be faithful in the workplace, regardless of where and what we do, um, to grow and mature in Christ means to be in the word, to be in communication with God through prayer, having a healthy prayer life. Um, to be in community on a small group level where we can grow with others alongside others, which fosters opportunity for accountability. And um, I think, I think Mike, um, I think you'll agree with me in this. I think it's really easy for us um, to get spun out when no one's holding us accountable um, as, as a follower of Christ, right? Yes. And so for you, I mean, in the context of, you know, TPD is probably in the beginning really difficult um, because you were kind of alone in that sense for a season, right? Um, it right. wasn't like, it wasn't like you had other officers saying, hey, man, did you read your Bible today? <laughs> right. Can you say the same thing today, though? No, I mean, it is... Um... I think we're up to like 40 TPD officers that have gone through and probably, I don't even know, but a good number percentage of those remain active in the outposts or communicating somehow. And um, I can't walk. There was a, 
Mighty Oaks graduate at work today. We talked about it in my office. So I went from being alone on the whole department to I'm not even alone in my own division. And uh, being able to have those conversations in the middle of your workday are outstanding. And and now it's it's like the uh, um, our opportunities to share the gospel. They don't just grow one at a time, but it's like they grow exponentially because I don't have to walk around and talk to everybody or call everybody. There's now 40 people out there, hopefully doing the same. It has to be working to some degree because as you know, Neil, there's guys now going through the program that I've never met before. Um, I meet them either at the program or I meet them when they graduate and they come to an outpost. And um, so that's not me getting to them because I've never talked to them. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I just can't explain how much it's changed. Not only my life and my family life, but we even have conversations about how cool it will be if we can get enough officers to live and walk out their faith we can change the entire police department. And if we can change the entire police department, then we change the relationship between the police department and the community. And maybe we change the community. And now this fight that I've been fighting in my own power, police officers have been fighting in their own power across the country on this superficial um, earthly level, now maybe we actually win it because we understand that it's a spiritual battle and we are just dealing with uh, tools of Satan and there's a bigger battle out there. And if we don't focus on the real battle, then we're just spinning our wheels down here in the, in the mud. Yeah. So much truth. So much truth in that. And I, I think, uh, I think if we were to whittle it all down, right. Um, it's that God does above and beyond we could ever imagine, think, or ask of him when we commit to faithfulness and obedience, which really, guys, is a listener, is celebrating your union with Christ. When we meditate and, and think on the undeserved grace we have received, um, when we celebrate being called out of darkness into his marvelous light, man, that stuff's contagious, especially in your vocation, especially if you work in a dark place, which a lot of us do, you know, uh, the businessman who sees his friends go to strip clubs after work every night, you know, or um, the, the doctor who feels like all they do is, you know, work, work, work and never, never spend time with their family, you know, like those are dark things. You're dealing with sickness, people dying, you know, all those, all those kind of things. Um, but when we begin to celebrate our union with Jesus, man, it is contagious in the atmosphere of which he's called us to, right? We begin to influence the sphere the Lord has placed us in. And uh, man, that's exactly what's happened. What I, what I've seen uh, from getting to work alongside Mike, What's happening with Tulsa Police Department is that man Mike is celebrating his union with Jesus. Uh, he's being trying to be faithful each day, um, both in um, deed and in his 
you know, spiritual growth. And man, that's having a massive effect that is unimaginable, right? 40 guys, 40 right now. And I think by the end of the year, we'll hit 50 out of 800. Like that, <laughs> that's quite a percentage of, of guys trying to follow after Jesus, right? And they're not just following after Jesus as um, individuals, but they're also in community with one another and committed. And man, that, that changes, that changes, that flips things upside down, right? Matt? Well, it changes perspective, and I think that's something that I'm, I'm noticing with Mike is he's not looking at things from just a purely physical standpoint anymore. Right. Uh, you're seeing the spiritual uh, battle that's underneath a lot of it when you're dealing with um, some of the people that you have to deal with on the streets. You recognize there's a, a spiritual battle underneath all of this, um, right? The, the God of this world is blinding people. Um, and so your, your weapons of warfare, such as prayer and, and being in the word and, um, and, you know, seeking after doing justice and righteousness uh, really changes how you, you deal with those that come, you, that come across your path. Uh, I, I know so often, um, like you said, the businessman, well, he, when his buddies run off to go and look at strip clubs, well, how is he going to, how is he going to fight? Is he gonna? Is he gonna try to physically stop them? Is he gonna make fun of them, tease them? You know, all that's gonna do is push them into more, um, you know, more sin. And so, yeah, the battle is is spiritual, and, and I think that's a that's a huge difference between dealing with that guy on the street that's always causing problems, um, and and recognizing, yeah, of course, there's that physical element. But deep down, there's a spiritual blindness as well. And, and we can't help but have our hearts break for them um, and what, what they've been through. And so I think um, there's a lot of perspective that comes from that. Totally. And, and the perspective, you know, comes from an encounter with Christ, like Mike was saying. It's like when you encounter Jesus, you change. Like it doesn't sit, sit in your heart the same way um, unless you're committed to full-on rebellion right it, matt and mike it kind of reminds me of luke chapter 19 um which verses 1 through 10 say he entered jericho and was passing through and behold there was a man named zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and was rich and he was uh, seeking to see who jesus was but on account of the crowd he could not because he was a wee little man if you were in uh, sunday school and heard this story uh, verse four, so he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, can come down from there, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of the man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord. The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And I think about that text, y'all. And man, like when Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully, it changed it changed the very nature of how he did business specifically, right? Uh, it, 
when you received Christ joyfully, Mike, it changed the very way you did, you know, you did coffee time in the morning, just on that level. Right. Right. And, but, but even bigger than that, we must understand verse 10, that the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. And he does that through the vehicle of other people watching our repentance and our faith. And he does that through when we open our faces and we tell people about Jesus, when we, when we receive him joyfully in both word and in deed. And uh, man, that, I just don't think we even, we even stop and consider the radical nature of what Christ is doing through our obedience, through our repentance, even. Because I think, Mike, the, the stickiest thing probably in Tulsa Police Department is seeing this, <laughs> you know, um, type A superstar cop repent and believe in Jesus. And what everybody, if, I mean, that kind of job, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not like just anybody gets that job, right? Right. Like you're you're handpicked most of the time for that kind of work, right? Correct. And so if everybody is jockeying to try and get those kind of special duty assignments, man, like it's cutthroat. It's super competitive. But then they see Mike sitting with a patrolman, sitting with the 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 traffic guy, you know, and saying i love you brother let me tell you about jesus i see your marriage is hanging on by a thread or you recently got divorced or you know hey man you 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 went through this real difficult thing i heard about you know um what's that like and that's just loving people right and uh man like guys are coming in droves um because Someone is loving God and loving their neighbor. I mean, it's as simple as that. And we get real uh, spun around the axle about the simplicity of loving Jesus and following him, right? Mike, what do you think? Why do you think we make it so complicated? I think instead of... uh... For me, instead of seeing Jesus as who he is, and and, uh, as you and I have talked, and instead of reading the Bible as absolute truth and not interpreting the Bible through my experiences, but interpreting my experiences through scripture, which is non-negotiable, that has to be there. um, I think we cast our failings on christ i know what i'm incapable of he can't really be that faithful he can't really love me that much no one else in the world is that faithful and we and it sounds ridiculous to say out loud as i'm sitting here but i think that's what i did is i just allowed doubt and uh just a lack of faith. It just couldn't be that easy. And, and it got, it went on for years uh, to the point that I didn't even know. And it sounds crazy now. I didn't even know how much hatred 
I was carrying around. Um, and, and unfortunately, even if I would have realized it, I would have rationalized it away. So it, it wouldn't have mattered. I needed, I needed scripture and, and God to intervene directly in my life. And that was the only thing that was going to work. Otherwise, I was going to continue to, um, like I said, cast my weaknesses upon him as if that doesn't make sense. But that's what I think I did. He just couldn't be that faithful and that loving and that kind and that honest because no one else is. So what would you tell a police officer who's listening right now? He says, man, I'm, I'm that guy. I am. I, I know Jesus. I followed him, but man, I found myself wayward. Right. How would you encourage that, that, um, guy or 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 man or woman officer who uh you know needs to needs to make some adjustments how would you encourage them yeah i would especially if they're a tulsa police officer i'd probably start by apologizing because there's a very good chance that i have contributed to their difficulties in their career um you know, I do owe a lot of policemen an apology. After that, um, I would just point them towards scripture and towards uh, the fact that they have seen change occur, not only in me, but in other guys. Um, and that everything that they have tried up to that point has failed because we can't do it in our own power. Um, and the truth of it is, as much as I hate to say it, because I'm talking about me and my guys, but cops are full of pride. And so the, they're going to have to humble themselves at some point. But if they think it through, that shouldn't be too difficult because they've been relying on their own abilities up to the point of this conversation. And it clearly hasn't worked or we wouldn't be having this conversation and to, you know, sit quietly um, and, and let God talk to their heart because he will. And uh, he has never failed. He has never let anybody down. Uh, he is faithful. He is exactly who he says he is. Um, we all have great friends. We've all still hurt each other as friends. God has never, you know, he is exactly who he says he is. He is always there for us. He is dependable. He is never distant. He has never failed. He'll never lose. Uh, he's who, he's who type A cops think they are, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just try to, I would just try to draw them into the fact that as, as successful as their life has been, something is missing. Um, and it's probably peace. You, mm. you hear cops and veterans say, when we go to these programs, you know, repeatedly, we ask them, what are you looking for? And that word probably gets said more than any other single word is I just want peace. And mm. it's not going to be found. Uh, Guys, I love my country, but it's not going to be found in the red, white, and blue. It's not going to be found in a badge or a military uniform or a girl or a 
bottom of a bottle, it's going to be found only in Jesus. Everything else is going to be a dead end. Mm. Yeah, that's good. John 16, 33 says, Jesus says, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Um, what true, true words, <laughs> what truer words are there when we actually look at our circumstances and our experiences, right? Mm. So you can be faithful as an officer of the law, even in the midst of a community that's jaded against you, even in the midst of fellow officers who are jaded against their community and one another. But I think Mike said it best. It takes humility. You know, if, if you're in a position of leadership and you've been wayward and you've led others in that same direction, it takes humility to say, I've sinned against you, friend, please forgive me. And committing yourself to putting on righteousness every day. That's, a, that's an act, active choice we have to make. We have to get up and choose to pick up our cross and to follow him. Um, there is no wiggle room around it um but god gives grace to the humble i think that's what we need to to capture here matt any last thoughts no i think mike said it perfect i think he said it perfectly uh, mm. i think we should end on that yeah guys stay tuned next week we're gonna interview another person um, in a different field and so we're really excited about this. Uh, we hope to kind of capture a good wide scope of what people do. And, you know, in the context of the church, because, you know, in the in what Christ has done is he's unified a very different people together. And there's no partiality in Christ. Um, there's the cop and then there's the there's the superintendent for a school district. There's a businessman, there's a doctor, there is the mayor of your town. And Christ brings these people together for his glory to go and to act um, as salt and light in, in their context, in the world. And so, um, man, it's our hope to get as many of those things we can through the people that we know and who love Jesus. And so um, stay tuned. We hope you'll listen in on this series. We're excited about it. And I think it'll be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Lifeline podcast. Until next time, we out.